Here's a good scripture about memorizing scripture in order to overcome sin. I memorized it in King James, but I'm going to make it more contemporary. Here it is. This is Psalm 119, I believe, verse 11. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Say it. Say your word. I have hid in my heart so I might not sin against you. That's what you're doing. You're hiding God's word in your heart. And that's how you're going to overcome temptation. I want you to know, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they really only had one rule. Do you know what their rule was? The one rule they had? What was it? Yeah, right? Don't eat from this one tree. I mean, they were running around without any clothes on and didn't care, didn't worry about it. There wasn't any lust. There wasn't anything bad at all. There was just one rule. Don't eat the fruit from this tree. Now, it was a special tree. There are people who are like, you know, well, is it an apple tree? No, no, not an apple tree, not an apple, not any fruit that you or I have ever tasted, nor will we ever taste until we get to heaven. It is the tree, actually, we'll never taste of this tree. It is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was also the tree of life. That's the one that we'll taste from in heaven, all right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, it's not just knowledge here, it's experience. Well, we want to have an experience of good, don't we? Yes? but we don't want to have an experience of evil. So this is what this tree was. Now I'm not gonna get into extensive teaching there. I'm just gonna show you that at the very beginning, Satan's very first tactic against human beings, and by the way, this is number one in your outline, and I know that there are plenty of these bulletins here. I set them on the seat. So look behind you, look in front of you, look beside you. You should be able to come up with a bulletin, right? Number one is right there, and I give you the, uh, the, the verse that you can look it up. Satan's very first tactic to make you doubt was the tactic that he used to make them doubt, and that was to get you to doubt the Word of God. It is true because God says it, and God says that it is true because it flows out of him, and he is true. He is, in fact, Jesus called himself the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. So, when God says it, then that settles it. That's the way it is. God spoke the universe into existence. God doesn't lie. So when he speaks, that's the way it is. Human beings like to doubt and we like to come up with other opinions and other ideas. And uh, we just don't really have this notion in our head any longer that everything is set, right? We don't think that there is a way things are supposed to be anymore unless that's the way I want it to be. But that's just not the way it works. There is a way that everything is supposed to be because God said it. Now, what happens is human beings don't feel tempted when they don't believe anything is sin. It's not a temptation if you don't believe it's wrong. You just do it, okay? Um, so there are a lot of things that our culture has changed its opinion on that means a large number of people and those who establish values within a society that creates a culture. And there are a lot of different values that have changed as people have turned their backs on the Bible and have turned their backs on Jesus. So now we just kind of come up with our own way. Now, I'm not going to go and noodle and get into all of these different things, but I will do this. Um, I, this is another thing that I was almost going to do. Um, 
go through and get the kids to quote these, these verses that relate to these different areas. But what I did when I created this game, and this wasn't my idea, by the way, as he, if you're paying attention to Pastor Craig, uh, he told you this is a game that I played when I was a youth. Um, I didn't become a Christian until I was 16, got involved head over heels in my youth group. And I had a really great youth minister and he came up with this game and I gave these verses to everybody about 10 days in advance. We got the verses on the bus on the way. So I'm like looking at this sheet and trying to figure, and we didn't get to wear lanyards around our necks. You just had to have them. Now you could have that sheet in your pocket and drag it out and kind of review it or whatever, but you just had to have it. And it was a situation where there were demons and the main demon was the youth minister. Now I told everybody, I'm not gonna be a tempter. I don't want you to think of me as being the bad guy. Um, plus I might have to you know, make some sort of judgment based on the rules and so forth. And you want a demon doing that. But uh, the youth minister was like the main demon. So basically, you know, we're all trying to stay away from our youth minister. All right. His name was Don and we're trying to stay away from him. But there were others as well. And uh, so in the game that I had everybody play at our retreat, they just had to touch you on the shoulder. But these guys could like, you know, grab you anywhere. And I the youth minister grabbed me by the ankle one time and hit me up with a temptation. And I froze. I couldn't like remember it. But. The temptations that I laid out in front of everybody were the seven deadly sins. Have you heard of the seven deadly sins? Yes. Okay, pride is like the main one and lust and anger and those sorts. And then I added several that I thought would be relevant to kids um, like stealing and lying, right? So here are, the, here are the 10 that I laid out. Now, again, this isn't gonna seem like a temptation if you just think it's right. So for instance, a lot of people think pride is good. Now, if there's a healthy, we use that term in a very, very broad sense, right? And you know, proud of your accomplishments. But type of pride we're talking about is where you feel like you are better than other people. You are above other people, right? And you can see that in the way people uh, look at you. Uh, I've asked people this question before. Maybe I've asked it recently in here. I can't remember, I'm getting old. but. Um, if you think about it, if somebody is proud, proud, somebody is arrogant, somebody is conceited, right? They might look at you like this. Why do you think someone would look at you like this? Why would they do that? They're looking down on you. So even if you're taller than them, they do this so they can look down on you. Whereas somebody who is ashamed or somebody who is humiliated or whatever, what will they do? Right. They look down. Well, the Lord doesn't want you to be humiliated. He wants you to be humble. He doesn't want you to despise yourself, loathe yourself, look down on yourself. What he wants you to do is ignore yourself and pay attention to him. So there's a healthy pride that is simply being proud of what God has given you, being proud of the gifts that you have, but you offer those to other people, you're a blessing to other people, and you don't try to act like you're above other people. So when we're talking about pride here, we're talking about the kind of pride that means that you think you're better than other people. And that manifests itself in all sorts of ways. So in our culture today, we're hearing so much about racism. Well, this is people who think they are better than others who are not like them, right? And it gets more specific than that because there are theories about this and so forth. But the point is, it's ultimately pride. It means me and my group, me and my family, me and my heritage, we're better than you. That's pride and that's wrong, right? 
And so the proverb that I gave them, you heard quoted, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The next one is anger. Now, anger is like pride. There is a healthy anger. You can be angry at sin. You can be angry at injustice, right? So last summer, when all the protests were going on, there were people that were angry at injustice and appropriately so. And there were people that were ridiculous and burning other people's property and destroying things and blaming people that weren't even guilty of anything. And that's, of course, wrong. Okay. So I like what this uh, passage that I had them, uh, my hope was that they would memorize these, right? Thy word have I hid in my heart means you memorize it. You know it by heart, all right? So in James uh, chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, James said, everyone or let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then verse 20 says, for the anger of man or human anger does not achieve the righteousness of God. Your self-righteous anger is not God's righteousness. Amen? Amen? So that's, I have to quote that to myself all the time. I get frustrate, frustrated all the time, mainly at technology. All right, then there's lust. And uh, this is from 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. And see, that's, that's sort of passed away. This is something that people think is just good. It's just okay. Now, lust in Greek, it just means an eager desire. But the, uh, the idea here is an eager desire for what is wrong. Specific, specifically, in English, when we use the word lust, we're talking about sexual sins. So in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it says, this is God's will for you, your sanctification. Or the version I put there, it is God's will for you to be holy and that you avoid all sexual sin. Right? So it's God's will for you to be set apart, to be sanctified, to be holy, and to avoid sexual sin. All right. And again, that's another one that we just avoid altogether because we've, we've completely rewritten the rules on sexual sin. But we're talking about the biblical definition here. Laziness. Oh, I love this one. All right. You know, we, we kind of get to where we think we deserve to just sit around and do nothing. Now, some of you need to learn to rest. I want you to recognize that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh day and established that as a holy day. You need to learn to rest. You need to learn that you don't need to be running around doing stuff all the time. So I'm not trying to load you up with guilt uh, because you're not doing something every moment of every day. But some of us don't want to do anything. And so I like this, uh, this verse out of Proverbs. Um, it says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and poverty will come upon you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Wow. That's, can you imagine that? Poverty comes on you like a thief, steals in, and scarcity, that means you don't have enough, comes on you like an armed man or an armed person, all right? And then there's greed. Uh, Jesus was the one that said this. Greed just means you want more and more and more, and you're never satisfied. More stuff, more stuff, more stuff. Again, that's something we've rewritten the rules on. Uh, I can remember there was a movie in the, the 80s about the economy, and there was a famous character in the movie that said, greed is good. You know, that, that's how they sell stuff. They make you want more and more and more and more. And then we get buyer's remorse and we recognize that we spent a bunch of money on stuff that we didn't even need. And now we don't even want. OK, so um, this one is from uh, Luke. And uh, I didn't have this one already memorized. So let me go back and look. He said, beware, guard against. I, I think I did memorize it before I, I got up there. Beware, guard against all greed for life does not consist in what you own. Amen. Amen. Yeah, life's not about what you own. And like I said, that is in Luke. That's Luke 12, 15. 
And then I put gluttony and drunkenness together. Gluttony is you want to eat more and more and more food. Drunkenness is you drink alcohol and to excess, right? Um, now, this wasn't the one I had them memorized, but for drunkenness, you could also do uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't be full of spirits, but be full of the Spirit. Here, uh, the, the verse that I gave them uh, was, do not carouse with drunkards or feast with gluttons. Right? You, you become like the people you hang with. Oftentimes, people drink too much because they're around other people that are drinking and they're continuing to buy them more and more, more beers, more shots, more whatever. And because it's the social thing to do, they just keep drinking and drinking and drinking until they're drunk. And by the way, that's a way that, that you become weakened in your resolve to not do certain things. Um, that's the way the devil will weaken you. Uh, drugs and alcohol drop our inhibitions and our resolve to do what's right. And you find yourself doing really, really ridiculous, stupid things, things that maybe even you don't remember after you've done them because you overdid it. So you can see one sin leads to another here. Then there's jealousy. Um, James 3.16, this is another one from James, where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice, right? Jealousy I won't get deeply into this, but jealousy and envy are often used as synonyms, but they're not really the same thing. Jealousy means I don't like it that you have what you have and I want to take you down for it. You shouldn't be. I think that because you have gifts that I don't have or because you have things that I don't have, that it, it makes me feel inferior to you. So I want to take you down. I want to destroy you, right? I want to take those away from you, but it's not so I can have them. It's so I can pull you down. Again, this is kind of a manifestation of pride, right? I'm insecure and I think that you're exalting yourself over me, regardless of whether you are or you're not. Envy is I want what you have. That's really coveting. Envy is more I want to be who you are. Oh, that's just disturbing, right? That leads to all kinds of ridiculous sins. So you can see where this fits in. All right, coveting is specific to I want what you have, and it's not that I want one like it. I've said this to kids before. Um, to set a goal when you see someone who has something uh, or you see someone who uh, has certain gifts. Let's say, you know, I, I teach the karate class, and if a new kid came in and saw some of the kids that have been there for a year or two doing certain things and said, wow, that's really awesome. I want that. I want to be like that. That's not bad if it motivates them to work to do it, right? But envy is, uh, you know, I want to be that person and coveting is whatever it is that they have, I want because it's going to lead to stealing, right? Uh, so this is, uh, I can remember years ago, and they're probably still popular to some degree. I remember years ago when Air Jordans were, were so popular and kids were getting beaten up and robbed and some kids even killed for their shoes right? That's coveting. I want what you have. And the next thing that is going to happen is I'm going to take it. So the verse that I quoted with this is 1 John 2.15. And it says, do not love the world or the things in the world, because if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Listen, if you don't love the world or the things in the world, you're not going to covet anything that anybody else has. Amen? That's the secret. You just got to... I was thinking this the other day. I, I need to preach a whole sermon on this. You need to get a divorce. No, not from your spouse, never. You need to get a divorce from the world. 
That's our problem. We're married to the world. We're in bed with the world. We're in love with the world system. And that's what leads to all of these different sins, right? And then lying, um, you know, I could have just said, had the kids quote the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not lie. Um, but I have Jesus here uh, quoting, uh, quoting Jesus about the truth. He said, if you are really my disciples, then you will keep my teaching and then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you know the truth and the truth has set you free, you're not going to lie. Amen? Amen? All right. And then the last one I put on there specifically again for kids is stealing. And that could have been one where I could have just had them quote the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal. But once again, uh, I went to the New Testament. This is Ephesians 4:28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but they must work so that they will have something to give. See, we don't work so we can earn more and more and more and buy a bigger and bigger house and a better and better car. We work so that we will be in a position to help people. Amen? So rather than stealing, I have a different attitude. I want to be a giver. I want to offer that to other people. So I went over those because that's what the kids were learning um, last week or last couple of days. And um, I wanted you to know something before we got any further in this outline. And I'm going to zoom through this because I'll be done shortly. But um, you're not going to consider anything a temptation if you don't think it's wrong. So the first thing you have to establish is that God's word is true. Amen. So when God told Adam and Adam told his wife Eve, we're not to eat from this tree, Satan came and immediately caused them to doubt. This is uh, Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty, more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And by the way, we find out in Revelation that that serpent of old is Satan. And uh, he said to the woman, Indeed has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. See, the first thing that he does is seek to get the woman to doubt God. And then I could preach this passage, but that's not the purpose today. The, the next verses indicate that that's what the devil sought to do, was to erode Eve's faith in her husband and in God and cause her to doubt. In fact, he caused her to switch her opinion, not only to think that it was okay, but that it was beneficial to eat from this tree. My friend, this is our culture today. Things that were formerly considered evil because the scripture clearly says they're evil are now, not only are they considered acceptable, they're good, they're beneficial, they're things you should chase after. Lust and greed are two examples of this, right? Um, so, um, number two, I want you to understand that temptation is not sin. Temptation is sin when we give in. So Martin Luther, uh, not, not Martin Luther King Jr., the amazing uh, civil rights leader from the 60s, but Martin Luther, whom he, that is Martin Luther King Jr., and his father, Martin Luther King, were named after, is the reformer, started the Protestant Reformation. And he had a statement that I've remembered for years, and it's about temptation. He said, the bird may land on your head, but that doesn't mean you let it make a nest in your hair. Do you understand what that means? The bird is temptation, but when you keep toying with it, eventually you let it make a home in you, and then that results in sin. So temptation is sin when we give in. What did Jesus teach the disciples to pray? You can remember this from the Lord's Prayer. I bet you can. Lead us not into... So you're specifically supposed to pray and stay away from temptation, not run into it. 
So we pray and we seek to avoid temptation every day. That's the first level. If you want to make certain that you don't give in to sin, you avoid temptation. Now, this is kind of interesting. I knew that the little kids weren't even going to be able to read these, these cards that they had, but I knew that they would be able to call on a helper, you know, call for a rescue and somebody would come and rescue them. But I also thought it would be fun for them because they could basically just run away from any of the tempters. And at first, when everybody started, you would not believe the first hour, everybody was so sweaty, man. I mean, even Roy came up to me. He was like, <gasps> he was sweating, man, because they were all running from these tempters. You know what? It's not a bad strategy. All right. Listen to 2 Timothy 2.22. In 2 Timothy, uh, the Apostle Paul warns his protege Timothy, he said, now flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. You run away from temptation. Now, this is different. You stand against the devil. You don't turn your back on the devil because all of the weapons, the spiritual weapons we're given are in the front. But you run away, you flee from temptation. Right. And we don't make any sort of, uh, of way for it to enter our lives. Uh, the scripture says, uh, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. We don't make a provision for it. We don't protect things that will cause us to enter into temptation. OK, so now I get to where it's going to get a little bit painful here. Right. We love these, don't we? And we want the screen that's got the most pixels, it's got the most detail. Why? Oh, and we know certain apps that can't get tracked so that we can make certain searches and nobody will know that we made those searches. Why? Well, I'm just protecting my privacy. Well, that's not bad. But see, it may be that you don't want anybody to know what you're looking at. And I won't go any further than that because you already know what I'm talking about. One of the ways that you can ensure that you don't go down that road is to delete those apps. I'm not opposed to this, uh, this web search called Duck and Go. It keeps uh, invasive organizations like Google from tracking you. We get Firefox and you can put it on like the little whatever mode. It's got little sunglasses. I can't remember what it's called. No tracking mode, whatever it is. But see, this is what people get for, okay, good reasons, protect my privacy, but they get these so that nobody can watch what they're doing. Well, you know, there are actually apps that you can get on your phone that will allow you to pair with someone as a, a partner so that they will be able to hold you accountable so that you don't look up bad things. One of them, I don't know if this is still available. I remember uh, having several young people that wanted me to be their partner to keep them accountable back in the day. And they loaded this software on their phone called Covenant Eyes. And basically what Covenant Eyes does is it tracks what you look at and then it sends a report to your partner. So if you're looking at stuff you shouldn't be looking at, your partner knows. And if your partner is a good partner and wants to help you, then your partner calls you or wants to have a meeting with you and sits down and says, hey, what's going on here? Right. You need accountability. You don't need to be private in these areas of your life. OK, 
Um, so, number four, we must flee temptation when it comes to us. However, temptation does have the capacity to make us stronger when we resist through faith in Christ. When we, there are times when we're just backed against the wall. The temptation is strong. We can't run from it, right? We, we've done everything that we, we should have done. So now we're just going to have to resist. That's going to require faith. All right, listen to this verse. This is another one I memorized when I was a young person. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and you can write that down because it's a good memory verse for you. And again, I memorized this probably in New American Standard, so it's gonna be a little bit uh, less dynamic than you might be accustomed to hearing from our pulpit here. But uh, it says, um, no temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man, common to humans. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear, but will, listen, but will with the temptation provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Did you hear that? That's why we rely on Jesus so strongly because he is going to come to our aid. In fact, in Hebrews, it tells us that that's one of the primary reasons why Jesus became a human being. He had to take all of our sin on him and die on the cross, but it was also so he could help us overcome. Listen to Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 18. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that's Jesus, likewise also partook of the same, that through his death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Slavery to what? Sin and death. Verse 16, for assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. So I had these kids and adults crying out for rescue. I didn't say help because I was worried that somebody in the camp would think that the kid was getting, you know, beat up or something, right? Crying for rescue. But the person we seek to have rescue us is Jesus. Amen. That's, he's a rescuer. He's the savior. Verse 17, therefore, he, that is Jesus, had to be made like his brethren, that's us, in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation, that means atonement, right? He brought us and God back together for the sins of the people. Now, here's the point of today's uh, message. This is the verse I wanted to get to. For since he himself, since Jesus himself was tempted in that which he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Jesus, it says in chapter four, was tempted in all ways. We have a high priest who was tempted in all ways, just as we are, and yet was without sin. Aiden, Jesus was 10 years old at one point. Jesus was 11 years old at one point. Jesus was probably tempted on many occasions to become frustrated with his brothers. He had a number of brothers and his sisters, all right? any of us in this room, we could pick out any sort of temptation that we are dealing with. And the scripture says, Jesus was tempted in every way, just as you are, but was without sin. So we call on Jesus to give us the power to resist so that we can overcome temptation, right? So that's uh, verse number six, Jesus able to help those who are tempted because he too was tempted, but without giving in to sin. And the final, uh, verse here, or the final uh, point in our outline, uh, is Jesus overcame temptation. How did he overcome temptation? By speaking the word of God, by quoting the word of God. So Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and read that, and that's where we're going to conclude today. 
because um, I could uh, I could easily preach on this, but I'm just going to read it and you'll you'll hear it. It's good stuff. But Jesus was in the wilderness and he quoted scripture each time he was tempted. He could have just said, no, I'm the son of God. Get away from me, devil. But see, he was being tempted at that point. Satan said, if you are the son of God, not a son of God, not a child of God, the one and only unique son of God, the monogenes in Hebrew, in Greek, right? Um, the only begotten son of God. Listen to what it says. We're going to see how Jesus overcame temptation. And as you heard uh, Pastor Craig tell the kids or remind the kids, that's how they were overcoming temptation in the game. This is uh, chapter four of Matthew. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. So he was at the end of his fast. He was allowed to break his fast at this point. It was probably a 40-day fast. But how would he break the fast? And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, trying to get him to doubt who he was, who God created him to be, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He didn't say man shall not live on bread at all. He didn't say that we don't need these things like food and water and air. He said that's not solely what you live on. That's not the primary thing. But the point that I'm trying to get across for our purpose is that Jesus here was quoting Deuteronomy. Now, he didn't say Deuteronomy and he didn't say chapter and verse, but it's the word of God. So the devil catches on and catches on quick. Jesus quoted scripture. Devil's like, okay, I can quote scripture too. And by the way, you should recognize that. The devil probably knows the Bible a lot better than you do. But when he quotes it, he's going to leave stuff out. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, same temptation, throw yourself down. Now, why would Jesus want to throw himself down? For it is written, the devil said, he will give his angels, uh, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. Now that is a quote from the Psalms, but he's leaving out, Satan is carefully leaving out a very important phrase. The phrase Satan is leaving out is, so they will guard you in all your ways. He will give his angels charge concerning you and they will guard you in all your ways and they will bear you up in their hands lest you strike your foot against the If you're paying attention to God who is guarding you in all your ways and sending his angels to do so, you're not gonna stand on the pinnacle of the temple and say, okay, I'm jumping down, God, catch me if you're real. Again, Jesus quoted scripture Jesus said, on the other hand, I love this. Jesus is just like, but on the other hand, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. You don't try to prove God. God has given you his word and you trust his word. And as you trust his word, God will be proven to you. So finally, Satan just cuts to the chase. Again, the devil took him on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. In other words, what he's saying is, you don't have to die for their sins. You don't have to go through all that pain and suffering. 
I control all these people. All I want, I don't want their worship. All I want is your worship. What do you think Jesus said? Again, he quoted scripture. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he let that settle it. That's why I want you to understand how important it is for you to get the word of God in your heart and trust God's word, period. Don't doubt it, trust it. Stand on it. Walk with God by letting his word take root in your heart. Found your life on it, right? And Jesus said at the end of his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he said there's two kinds of people. There's people that build their house, that's your life, right? On the sand. And when the waves come and the wind comes, it blows that house down because it has no foundation. And there are those who build their house on the rock. And the rock is Jesus and his teaching. That's what I'm trying to teach you today. I hope that these kids and these adults jumped into those scriptures that I gave them through that game. But I hope even more than that, that you will start taking this word seriously. And as I've said to, to people a number of times, if you want me to send you a daily passage, I send about 40 people a daily passage of scripture. Um, go to lifewell.blocknote, like a flock of sheep, just one word, flocknote.com. Lifewell, our church, one word, lifewell.blocknote.com. And register there and click the little tab that says Daily Bible. And then every day you'll automatically get a passage of scripture. You know how I memorize the majority of the scripture that I have memorized today? I used to read scripture. I used to take notes on what the pastor preached. And I used to highlight those passages. And when the passage was really important, I would write it in a notebook. Now, some years ago, I had a number of teenagers over at my house and I dug up those old notebooks. I have notebooks filled with nothing but scripture. I didn't even make comments on them. I just wrote it. By the way, the act of writing something down, right? I teach drama club on Thursday nights. And this is those of you that uh, are involved in memorizing lines. Roy's been in theater for years and years and years. He's a fantastic actor. I wish I could get him to do it again in our church. He is. He's incredible. But those of you that have to memorize lines realize that one of the ways that you can memorize lines is by writing them down. The actual process of writing helps you to memorize. Okay. So if you just keep looking at a verse and it just won't get in your head, get Go old school. Get some three by five cards and get a pen. <gasps> Do you even have a pen? <laughs> there are pens on the backs of all of these chairs. You can take one with you. They even have hand sanitizer on them. You can spray your hands. And then you can write the scripture on the three by five card. The act of writing it will help you. And then carry it around. Look at it. Put it back in your pocket. Look at it. Post it around in your house. Post it on your mirror. Post it wherever you'll look. And pretty soon, it's not here anymore, it's here, and then it's not just here anymore, it's here. And that's where God wants, your, wants the word of God to be. Yeah. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Amen? Amen? I hope the Lord got through to you today. I hope you paid attention to what he was uh, saying, and I hope that you will start to pay attention to the word of God and hide it in your heart.